Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for Is the Man Who Is Tall Happy? How do we identify something as a tree? You plant a tree, it grows. You cut a branch off it, and you put that branch in the ground. I suppose it grows, and it becomes exactly identical to the original tree. Is that new one the same willow tree? Why not? It's not so simple. As you can see, I felt a bit stupid here. Why should we take it to be obvious that if I let go of a ball, it goes down and not up? Learning comes from asking, why do things work like that? Why not some other way? Mm -hmm. The world is a very puzzling place. If you're not willing to be puzzled, you just become a, a replica of someone else's mind. Visual experience is just uh, simulations of the retina, but we impose an extremely rich interpretation of it. We see the world in terms of trees and uh, dogs and rivers and so on. But then the question is, well, what are those concepts? People are just not satisfied to think, I go from dust to dust and there's no meaning to my life. What makes you happy? I don't really think about it much. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator from the Film Society of Lincoln Center, Eugene Hernandez, and tonight's guest, Michelle Gonche. What interested you in Noam Chomsky? Um, well, first, his uh, political work, his position, and uh, his activism. Um, and then after that, I realized uh, how uh, an important scientist uh, he was, uh, he is. Um, both aspects interested me uh, equally. I felt I, uh, I was more capable of working, uh, uh, talking about his scientific work, and uh, it it um, there is already many film and video uh, uh, of him uh, uh, speaking, uh, um, mostly about politics, and uh, I, there is barely anything uh, illustrating his uh, uh, his theory on genetic, uh, generative grammar, and uh, I. I find it really compelling, even though if I am not coming from linguistic or even philosophy, uh, I, I was very uh, compelled to uh, to work on that. Were you um, were you intimidated in any way at the at the either at the idea of sitting down and talking with him at length over such a long period of time, or did you find that process challenging in any way? Yeah, I was super intimidated. I was I mean, you put that on you, We put that on the screen, yeah. I guess. But. Um, it, it, was, it was hard. I mean, I had prepared some questions, uh, but I didn't know where it would lead. And I think when you do interviews, uh, which I'm not so used to, but uh, it's the third documentary I do, and uh, it's very important to let... Uh, the conversation leads it, lead itself. Uh, 
so you can prepare the starting point, but then you have to uh, to follow where it goes. Uh, but I had met him uh, like five or six times before we started to do this project. So, but I was still uh, still very intimidated. Um, one of the first questions you ask him in the film, or I think it might be the first question, is the question I'll start um, to ask you and sort of see where it leads us. I think the first question you asked him or early in the film is what is your first mem the first memory in your life? Yeah. I'll ask you the same question. What is the first memory that you have? Well, I'm at school, and uh, it's the first day of school, and it's uh, preschool, so I'm three years old, uh, uh, and which is double the age of Noam, so my early memory are gone. He remembers uh, being one year old or something in the film. He, yes. He says he does, uh, when, uh, one and a half, like 16, 17 months. And uh, minutes later, so I remember turning back my head and looking at uh, the only friend uh, I, uh, I had from before the school, before this year, and uh, making eye contact with him because I was very, uh, uh, I found it very uh, uh, scary to start the year and not knowing anyone. So that's my first memory. Uh, and then I have very sparse memories, not like, Noam says because he described that after all his memory are coming back. My I'm very, they're very spread. Uh, remember one uh, losing my uh, marbles in the yard and the courtyard and uh, uh, somebody trying to steal them and it was a cloudy day. I remember that. So somebody tried to steal your mar the marbles. You were playing with marbles and someone tried to take yeah, them. From yeah, yeah, drop them on the floor and then people were stealing them. Where did you uh, where did you go where were you in school at this point where where did you It grow? was in Versailles called Richard Mick. Did you as a kid did you have a lot of friends or did you kind of stay on your own or I had generally one friend uh, and mostly the outcast uh, I was very uh, interested into people who have weird background, even in Versailles. I mean, they would stand out more in Versailles because you had a sort of a mold from this bourgeoisie. And I, I was always more interested by people who had weird families and weird background. Your, uh, I learned a little bit about your family through one of your previous documentaries, but would you characterize your family as a weird family also? Um, well, it it's quite atypical. Uh, weird, it's little too much to say. But uh, my parents were half, half like uh, as a hobby, they were musicians. Uh, we, we were not uh, rich at all, not poor, we were very middle class. But remember my father, when he, I was a kid, he, he was making the minimum wage. And then he, he, he went up, he was uh, making microphones. Uh, in, uh, yeah. Um, but it's kind of, my grandfather was an inventor. Uh, so we were like in Versailles, but in a very small, uh, the gr uh, first floor of a two floor house. Uh, very uh, sort of average, but sort of outside, a little hippie, uh, if I say so. 
my my guess is that um, based on the work that I've seen of yours, and we'll talk a minute in a minute about the animation process, but um, from seeing your music videos and the and the the work that you do, I imagine that as a kid you were. I picture you being uh, very into like arts and crafts or handcrafted things. Was that was that part of your childhood, or did that did yeah. that come from your childhood, or to what yeah, extent? Yeah, very early on, I remember drawing all the time, and I was uh, in my family. I was sort of the artist and the person who does drawings and makes things and uh, has creativity. And I was uh, sort of encouraged by my parents and, and recognized. Uh, so later on, when I went to, uh, even at school, I was the one who could draw uh, for my friend. I remember uh, uh, teaching them uh, to draw a, a naked woman. Uh, I had a very simple method to do it. And uh, then later, when you go to art school, which I did when I was uh, uh, 15, uh, then you, be you, you become the average which is interesting because you have all those kids who were the, the f best one in their classroom uh, in drawing, and then you are all together there. So it's not that it's competition, it's very, it, it, it was not in Versailles anymore. It, it was uh, in between Versailles and Paris, another town, a small town. And so you meet all those uh, other kids who have the same tendencies to be the artists of their family, and they have uh, much more uh, various background. And they come from different parts of France as well. How did you handle that? How did you handle the fact that um, I imagine within your family you were exceptional and you're still an exceptional artist, but among other creative people, was that intimidating? Was that yeah, challenging? Yeah, well, it was challenging but stimulating because it was, not, it was a sort of uh, uh, pilot, as they call it, a pilot uh, high school. Uh -huh. uh, it was a sort of different way of teaching. It was not uh, so much about the grade. I don't have so much memories about that. And, uh, but it was nice to have Really, it's where I started to make friends that uh, remain remained all my life uh. till now uh, for like uh, more than thirty years. Uh, best friend uh, because we had really uh, a lot to share in music, test, uh, and uh, in art. Uh, and I didn't feel. I mean, in the beginning, maybe I felt a little less special, but then very quick, uh, because everybody was different, I find my place. Does the kind of work that we see, um, does the kind of drawing or the kind of work that we see in your, in your work, in your videos or your or your films now, connect with the kind of work that you were doing as a kid? Do you see a connection in yeah. the types of drawing? Especially when I would draw uh, draw on the uh, flip books, you know, the other, uh, the edge on the books, uh, it was very close to to this because basically you want to go from point A to point B and tell tell a simple story. Uh, so you have to find a way to make it very uh, basic. And at school, in the art school, we had a, uh, a, book, a book of jokes or, or gags that were happening during the day. It was a journal of all the uh, funny bits. Like I remember one drawing when, uh, uh, where we were nine, nine friends, let's say, on the table for the, uh, the, the lunch canteen was only eight uh, places and there would be one who had to go into a, a, table, a foreign table. So we would rush uh, to get our seat and uh, this was drawn by, we were like four people in this uh, uh, 
uh, keeping this uh, uh, drawing book. Uh, and, uh, in the beginning, uh, my best friend and I were outside because we were not as skilled as the other, and then we were accepted. I remember the drawing of us being accepted in the comic book uh, of jokes, and then we would make a, a fake stamp, but we draw a stamp when the gag was accepted. <laughs> <laughs> it was like joke accepted, <laughs> or someday it would be joke refused. It, at what point did you did you consider your creativity to be um, what you would pursue as a profession, or did you consider it a hobby? Or at which point did you sort of realize that this is something you might be able to do professionally? Well, when in going to this high school, I was hoping to do that, but I didn't hope. Uh, to do a film or even animation. Uh, this was not really an option. I mean, uh, I uh, studied tapestry. Really? Uh, because it seemed to be the closest from painting, and I, I was sort of, I had the secret ambition to become a painter. But what was interesting and brings me back to, uh, to Chomsky is, in France, uh, the artistic world was sort of dictated by the philosophical or literary, literary, literary world. And I was very uh, introverted and uh, shy, and uh, I didn't want, the only option I found before I found this school was to do uh, uh, literature high school, uh, specialization. Um, and it was a bit like half a day out of the week would be, uh, uh, specialized in drawing uh, and so I was much more interested by uh, mathematics especially geometry and I always uh, sort of resented this lack of connection especially in France where uh, there is a lot of uh, discourse and uh, this I mean at school science I mean probably leads to more opportunities, so it's highly regarded, but they don't see the connection between science and art. And when I uh, started to read about Noam Chomsky, I find this connection, and I'm not surprised that he has not the deepest admiration for the French philosopher of the 20th century. And so I find this connection uh, with him. Where he comes much more from a scientific background, even though he's considered as a philosopher. Do you remember when you first discovered his writing or when it first sort of resonated with you or his work? Well, first I discovered like, uh, him through videos. Uh, I watched the Manufacture Consent, and another one that was called Rebel Without a Pose. And then I uh, read some uh, book he wrote about uh, Bertrand Russell and creativity. And it was, it's one of the books he did that bridge uh, the science world to his political work. And, uh, and, and he talks a lot about creativity, which was very interesting. Uh, it was a subject that I always, always was interested to, into. As a creative person, I wonder to what extent, picking up on what you were just saying, to what extent an artist needs to find um, uh, either philosophical or, or thoughtful voices to sort of guide or, or help steer your own sense of your own creativity, your own confidence in your creativity, the world that you're exploring. To what extent has that been sort of necessary for you to sort of propel you 
forward? Well, I remember clearly, and it's not so long ago, like maybe uh, 10 years or 15 years, uh, and I was talking with Charlie Kaufman, actually, uh, about it. And uh, I was thinking that I had a lot of concept or thinking, and they were all going in many directions. And I was uh, asking him, oh, how do you do to build your own philosophy? And uh, we had this conversation. And I remember at this time looking, looking for uh, a way to sort of uh, uh, include all my beliefs and my hopes and my uh, uh, thinking process into uh, one coherent uh, process. And um, it's later on, maybe when I started to compile my videos and we did the DVDs, that I sort of realized I had a, a voice and a direct general direction and that felt like a philosophy. But it's it's like everyone has their own philosophy, which is basically the addition of their uh, beliefs and their interests. Uh, and then you accumulate them and you find your own sort of voice. But um, I had the complex to be, uh, and still to be influenceable. So that I would, if somebody would say something about a song, I would, like let's say Björk would say, "Oh, this artist is great, and I would love this artist." So I find uh, uh, I, I try to fight that, but I, I find this as a weakness, and I find that I I thought that I didn't have much point of view, but then when I started to accumulate work and being asked about it, interview and stuff like that, and I started to sort of realized that I had a point of view of things and I could start to express it. But do you mean that you were easily influenced by other creative people who give you suggestion? Very suggestible, is that what you're... Uh, like yes. if Bjork, if Bjork said, you said, use the example of Bjork, so if she yeah. turns you on to something... In, in a way, yes, but I think deep down I s always had a, a strong line. Uh, but I would, in some aspect of my uh, appreciation of other things, uh, my likings. I I remember like a friend I had from the high school, and he had a very strong opinion on things. And uh, sometimes I felt uh, I was uh, it was hard to stay myself uh, uh, because I was not outspoken about my test. Uh -huh. But it came later, and uh, now I don't have so much this complex. Although I have it sometimes, like. If everybody criticizes my movie, I start to hate it. It's horrible. Is that true? Yeah, I, I hate this thing. Uh, so you might uh, feel a certain way before people see it, and then you feel differently after? Yeah. It's, uh, it's a shame. It's shameful, but I have to admit it. And it's really because on the, the scale of a movie, it's very hard to perceive the general uh, okay. uh, feeling of it. And so because I see pieces. Uh, and I have a hard time to see the ensemble. I see all the problems I, I have to uh, overcome, uh, and things that, you know, uh, where it's it's not as smooth or as as uh, uh, driven as I wish it was. Uh -huh. uh, so, unfortunately, I uh, get influenced by the general opinion. I mean, it's kind of hard to admit, but it's. Uh, I mean, overall, I have a sense of, uh, you, I add up now, I've done maybe 10 movies, uh, 
uh, it adds up, uh, it feels sort of coherent even though I went to different direction. So I have a better sense, but still, uh, if uh, my movie is trashed, I feel bad about it. Do <laughs> I can imagine anybody would feel that way. But I wonder if you, do you see a connection? Um, you work in so many different um, formats of film, whether that be um, smaller animated pieces, whether that be music video, whether that be narrative films or documentary films. Do you see them all as one sort of cohesive body of work or do you creatively, do you, do you view them very separately? And do they sort of give you certain, uh, do, they, do they allow you to express yourself um, in very separate ways, or, or is it all connected? Well, I, I, at first approach, I would feel it's all over the place. Uh, but I think, as I was saying, when I did my first compilation of videos, I realized there were one common element. And it was something that w uh, would uh, uh, be like a thread through the whole film. And it felt that, uh, that even if they were a little scattered, uh, that this thread would connect them, and uh, it would make sense. Sometimes literally thread would sort of be in the videos, yeah. right? or yarn, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Um, and we're gonna talk, uh, I wanna take a look at a clip from, um, from the movie, but I wanna ask you one more question related to Noam Chomsky. And we were talking about sort of the philosophy of creativity and, and philosophy in general. When you were embarking on this film and as you were preparing to sit down with him and as you were talking with him, um, were, there, were there sort of deeper answers you were looking for or was it more a matter of just um, trying to document your experience of asking these questions? Meaning, were you trying to figure certain things out for yourself? Yeah, I mean, try to understand generative grammar, and uh, especially there is part where he described how a genet single genetic mutation uh, led to language, like 50,000 years ago. Uh, um, that I felt I was really, I remember this evening, I felt really enlightened. I felt, especially to hear somebody talk about uh, a concept, uh, something he discovered himself, uh, is really amazing because generally when those concept or philosophy or those uh, point of view are so uh, rich and deep, uh, you don't get to know them uh, before the person is dead or passed long time. Uh, uh, so to see, see somebody and hear somebody with his own voice uh, explaining his finding was like just amazing. And it reminded me, and it's a very uh, stretched uh, comparison, but I went to see uh, at the end of his life a concert of uh, James Brown. And I was uh, sitting there or dancing there and thinking, <laughs> I'm watching the guy uh, who uh, playing the music that he invented. Yeah. And that's very special uh, feeling. Because I wish I would come back in time and be able to talk with Richard Feynman or Albert Einstein. To see, the, to see or experience or talk with someone who literally invented a particular approach or Yeah, and you feel that you, uh, you sort of uh, record the voice and uh, you can, it's recorded for a good period of time. I mean, I could not say eternity because I, you don't know how it's, it's going to be in the future, but it's like you you make, you 
help them making a mark in some ways. Mm -hmm. and it's like because you watch those, I, I love watching those uh, YouTube clip uh, on Richard Feynman because he has a way to explain physics that's quite amazing. And I really, uh, I am grateful that this guy took the time to take a camera and shoot him talking about nanotechnology or uh, the universe or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so it's very uh, rewarding to be part of this process. Okay, so let's do this then. I want to I want to show a clip, yeah. and then I want to yeah. talk with you specifically about the filmmaking side and the craft side of how you put this film together and the animation and some of that. Right. But let's take a look at the clip from the film. They take the Charles River over there, and the river going past the building. Uh, what makes it the Charles River? Uh, you can have uh, substantial physical changes and it would still be the Charles River. So, yeah. for example, you can reverse the direction, it'd still be the Charles River. You can break it up into tributaries that uh, uh, end up somewhere else and would still be the Charles River. You can change the content. So maybe uh, you build a manufacturing plant upstream and the content is mostly arsenic, let's say. Well, it's still the Charles River. Well, On the other hand, they're very small changes that you can make, in which case it won't be the Charles River at all. So suppose you uh, put uh, panels along the side so it goes in a straight path, and you start using it to uh, ship freight up and down. It's, it's not the river anymore, it's a canal. Oh, yes. And uh, I suppose you make some minimal physical change, almost undetectable change, which hardens it. It's called a phase change, undetectable, but it makes it glass, basically. And uh, you paint a line down the middle, and people start using it to commute to Boston. It's a highway. It's not a river. Now, somehow we, and we can go on and on like this. Uh, we understand all these things without instruction, without experience. They have to do with uh, very complex notions of continuity of entities. A physicist cannot detect because they're not part of the, I mean, of course, the physical world is part of them, but it's only one part. A major part of how we identify anything in the world, no matter how elementary, is the mental conceptions that we impose on interpreting very fragmentary experience. And our experience is indeed very fragmentary. So visual experience is just, uh, you know, uh, stimulations of the retina. One of the things I really like about this film is um, it's not just his great voice. He has a terrific voice. Mm -hmm. But um, to be able to listen to his voice, um, at least in my mind, filtered through your own interpretation, um, is the very kind of inherent nature of documentary. Um, the filmmaker having a hand in, uh, and you talk about this early on, in manipulating um, what the audience ultimately sees. And so I really feel like we're, we're, we're in this particular, you know, in this 90 minutes, we're really kind of, uh, we have the opportunity to kind of hear him filtered through your own imagination. Um, tell me about how you made the, the creative decisions that you did to treat this subject in this particular way. This click, uh, this clip we just saw is very uh, illustrative and narrative. So, uh, uh, and it's probably because it was uh, very uh, uh, concrete. So he's trying 
to get the concept into my uh, understanding through a very concrete example. So I want to illustrate them. But there is other time where uh, I uh, use abstract animation, maybe because I couldn't understand clearly what he was saying and I didn't want to simplify the, my transmission uh, by trying to demonstrate or explain uh, and that was my initial concept, is to use abstract animation uh, to, uh, to illustrate uh, and help people to focus on what he's talking about. Uh, but then I, I realized that I, 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 was, I had to drift in and out abstraction uh, to keep the interest, my interest, and eventually the interest of the audience. How many hours of conversations did you ultimately have with him to get to this hour and a half film? Uh, three hours, basically. Four uh, interviews uh, with six months in the middle. Um, and you, you left in the film moments where um, either sometimes you misunderstand each other or sometimes you ask him a question and maybe he, he challenges the question or takes the question in a different way or kind of disputes. It's not a debate per se, but, but there's, there's moments certainly where um, he doesn't sort of follow exactly where you're leading him, and yeah. you sort of left that there. Uh, well, yeah, I, I find it was entertaining to see that. And it, it's fun, I think. Uh, and uh, in a way, it makes it more accessible uh, because I've seen him talk about this concept where a very smart interviewer uh, would make uh, the whole thing uh, impenetrable. And I think using my lack of, you know, my approximative English, and sometimes my lack of understanding and exposing it, uh, it would be more sort of welcoming to the audience. And uh, it just, it was part of the, it was a sort of a comic relief in some ways. Uh, and it was funny because I would try to lead him to, uh, to try to, to get uh, one concept through his mind and see how he reacts. But he would stop me on one word and then expand on this world. This word. And so I would left completely. I mean, most of my questions, they don't go very far at all. So that's why I say I feel stupid. And I really did feel stupid sometimes. But he never, uh, he was not condescending at uh, any point. If I had come to him with a, um, a like, sort of, an educated philosophical tone, he would have destroyed me uh, right away. Because I, I've seen him in a few clips uh, talking to uh, philosophical classes. And when the student, even if it's like a very young student, comes with uh, uh, what, how do you define the concept of reality? And he just, he, he really doesn't like uh, this pretense that you can find sometimes in philosophy. He really brings me or anyone back to uh, the fact, and even we exchange email uh, from time to time. And if I ask him, uh, uh, let's say I remember one email, uh, uh, do you consider history as a science? He would just uh, uh, not answer this one. If I ask him, uh, uh, like, some idea that some of the mathematicians of the beginning of the century uh, delved too much into infinity and they went crazy. Uh, and he said, I didn't notice. Uh, so he would start, uh, cut the conversation short uh, on when I tried to find a too 
deep meaning. But on the other hand, if I ask him uh, about uh, uh, did uh, uh, the Neanderthal uh, crossed with uh, uh, Homo erectus, uh, which that's the name of this term, well, yeah, or homo habilis, I, I forgot exactly the okay. definition. Uh -huh. He would answer me with a full page. <laughs> with detailed uh, examples in, in the south of Italy, I think their gene cross uh, uh, at this period of time, and uh, he would send me to a link on the net to find more detail oh. about <laughs> it. So if he, if it's a very scientific uh, question, and he's it's it's going to answer on the, what's interesting with him is the answer the generally in the next half hour. <laughs> So you imagine, and it's sometimes the middle of the night, so I have no idea how it does it. <laughs> it's interesting. I was noticing as I was watching the film that there are, it's a reminder of the power of words because you can, you can sometimes use, you can choose a particular word that you might uh, later regret because the word you chose might send him in a direction or give him the impression that you're asking a whole different question. And well, your it's question a, it's is a good lesson sometimes it gives me. Like if I say, uh, uh, do we have a an instinct to believe in the uh, uh, ancient rules or science. And uh, he would cut me off and say, no, it's not instinct in this case, it's law. And then I have no idea what law means. Yeah. And so he spelled it out and he explained it to me. But I think it's great because at the end of the day, I sort of, uh, I remember sending him an email saying, okay, I've been thinking a lot and I think our uh, uh, intelligence is a combination of uh, genetic, uh, on the amount, uh, law and education. And then he, he delved into that and he was like, maybe education, I would change this word. And he, uh, he, uh, he said, I could not find an English definition, I would use the German word. <laughs> so he went very specific and, uh, or for instance, when I, uh, in the film, when I say, well, I, I think this is a tree because uh, I saw it being cut, and then I saw that it grew back, and I remember it. And he said, yeah, you have a point. This, I think it was an advantage uh, for the conversation uh, and, and, and in regard to him that I was very candid. But it's true that some concept I couldn't get through. Like, I wanted to try to have him answer on the fact that, okay, if we have this endowment, uh, so there is what we make is it's a reflect of who we are and uh, it w we can nev we could never Couldn't talk about that <laughs> just for a moment i want to ask you about the um the animation process can you you, you there's moments where we see you um drawing yeah. um can you just fill us in on the sort of animation process that you go through uh for example for in a scene like the one we just saw well, it's basically paper with Sharpie. I have my set. My setup is very simple. I have a light box, which is big like that. And I have a stand, uh, like uh, any camera stand that I put with a certain angle. And I put the camera upside down, looking down. And I put duct tape all around so it doesn't move. And so I draw on my paper and I take picture and I draw and I take a picture. And the, the basically the technique that I found is that um, the I can, because it's lit from underneath, I can put up to three layers of paper so I can have parts that don't move and parts that move. 
And then I can uh, accent, if there is a little foggy effect with uh, the fact that uh, you, I use the transparency of the paper and it's a little uh, not always translucid. And if I give a little gap underneath the layer, it becomes, the image underneath becomes blurry. So I, it's very technical, but he gave me a lot of uh, uh, control on the texture. And then you have the light that goes through every sheet of paper which has a different texture, so you have this vibration. And most of the time, as you can see on the poster, I switch back to negative. So it gives this sort of cinema aspect where you have the bright line over the black background. Um, I want to switch gears and let the audience ask questions. So uh, there's folks with microphones. Hi there. Hi. Um, Michel, when you're going to tell a story, whether it's a music video or a movie, what part of the filmmaking process makes you more excited? Um, I think the idea to, to think of the story and then you create the characters and then you start to see them and think of them when you're not in between the writing. Uh, and you start to see them exist, that's the most exciting part. And then there is a visual aspect and then uh, the idea that it's going to look, but I think the more exciting is, uh, and I remember from the beginning I always did, do, did my storyboard and I remember one of my first videos when I, uh, it was like a little comic book basically I would do and uh, I could be in a subway in Paris and uh, uh, and drew my story, and especially with animation, I had no boundaries, boundaries or uh, limitation because I I knew I just would work out a technical solution to achieve the idea. So it was really exciting, and I had some idea how it would start on the middle, on the ending, and then I would find the transition. This part of the process is uh, most fun. Hello. Uh, good afternoon uh, I Hi. wanted to ask you if who is your favorite uh, no sorry who is your least favorite uh, philosopher and why well I just saw this movie when they were uh, quoting Jean-Paul Sartre and I find uh, find a bit pretentious and uh, I mean I read some of his book I remember uh, the what's called in English the nausea, la nausea nausea by Jean-Paul Sartre, La Nausée. This was very strong. I had a, it made a strong impression on me. But to see him, uh, if he, even if he was defending, he was on the side of the worker and he would march with them, I find that he was exploiting them. And uh, so I don't like him so much. You know, there was this sort of... Uh, uh, argument with uh, Camus and him, uh, and I like Camus much better. I think it's a much better writing, and uh, uh, his there is philosophy in his writing uh, that is much more complex and interesting than to say uh, uh, evil is the other. I mean, or the essence precedes uh, uh, being or the, those texts. Um, existentialism, uh, I think you can really 
have a very basic and simple answer to those, in my opinion, to this question. If you study a bit of biology, for instance, and you realize, okay, well, you, you, you come out of, as cells who divide and divide, and then basically you become what you make of your life. And that's this question, but answered in a much more pragmatic way. So that's an example. But I, I'm very ignorant. I, I, uh, it's hard for me to uh, answer this question because I, um, this was not my interest when I grew up. I had more interest into uh, science, uh, astronomy, uh, the geometry, mathematics, and uh, not that I'm a specialist in that, but I find it more stimulating. And uh, then I read uh, uh, novels and. Uh, uh, like, for instance, I read George Orwell not so long ago, maybe 10 years ago, and uh, I found this critique of society uh, very, uh, I mean, it was much more interesting than uh, some philosopher. Bonsoir. Um, I was wondering if you had a conclusion about the filmmaker industry you did in Paris, in Bobo, uh, the La Machine, I think. Oh, yeah, the home movie factory. And yeah, and uh, if you wanted to recreate the experience again once. Yes, I did it in many places and it keeps going. I think we're going to do to Morocco uh, in the spring. And uh, I mean, in between we went to... Uh, well, it's a home movie factory in which I uh, provide sets for uh, every anybody who wants to come and they come in groups with their friends. And it's not necessarily for artistic people. It's for people who don't know they have artistic capacities. And they make their own film, and they write their story, and then they make the film, and then they watch it. And that was actually one of the first uh, reasons why I wanted to speak with Dan Chomsky, because he was speaking about the sort of, he had this, he had this democratic approach of creativity. And uh, the work that his wife did uh, with children was very much connected to that. Uh, so this is a part of my work that I uh, find very gratifying because it, it's sort of my way of being political. Because basically I'm, what I'm telling, saying is like anyone could, can be creative uh, and then most of the time you hear and you watch the creativity of specific people who are sort of privileged and they are in the circle and you never hear people who uh, are outside of the circle, and because they are outside of the circle, they could have something more interesting to say. So this all come, uh, uh, it makes sense to me, and it's sort of, uh, uh, you know, I was, we were talking about if I had the philosophy, I find this philo the philosophy uh, in this aspect. So I, yeah, I, I will continue to do it. You mentioned Chomsky's wife, and before we take this question, can we watch one more clip? Yep, from the film, because we have another clip ready and I don't want to leave it out. Do you mind if I ask you about your feeling when your wife passed away? I'd just soon not talk about that. It's different. I can't get over it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm
Because uh, it seems that you had the perfect relationship from the outside point of view. It wasn't, you know, nothing's perfect, but yeah. uh, it was very intimate, yeah. I think a lot of human beings spend uh, a lot of their life trying to solve problems of relationship or find a relationship and... We pretty much solved it when we were children. <laughs> we were children when we got married. Yeah. You know, she, Carol was 19, I was 20. And do you think it helped you in your work? It's hard to say. I mean, um, Carol was kind of a social butterfly. You know, she was, as a teenager, you know, going to all kind of parties, dating, this and that. I was very solitary. But, uh, and for a couple of years, we more or less lived her style of life. But, you know, I'd sit in the corner at the parties. But after a while, we just drifted into a very private life. You know, saw a couple friends. Uh, we, weren't, we weren't hermits, like uh, children, grandchildren, friends, and so on, but uh, uh, mostly we lived, we preferred to be alone. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful sequence. It's a beautiful sequence. Yeah, he, he was very uh, emotional uh, talking about his wife. So... Uh... Hi, Michelle. Hi. Um, I would like to ask you, how did you convince Noam Chomsky? Like, how did you meet him, or how did you convince him? I, um, I was invited uh, to MIT uh, in a residency, uh, and I met a lot of teachers and uh, students, and, and this was very uh, illuminating for me, uh, because it was exactly the place I felt home, this, uh, they, because they were constantly bridging between science and art. Some of the projects were more art, like um, contemporary art, and some of the projects was, was more scientific. And you have all a range of projects uh, between the two. And then I realized he was there too. And I, after uh, two or three times visiting MIT, I asked if I could meet with him. So I met him like for 20 minutes and then maybe a few months later or six months later, I met him another time. And after five, maybe five times or four times, I, uh, I suggested to him to do this project. I had done an, an, ex I had an example of uh, animated, abstract an, uh, animation that I did for a video and I showed it to him and he said, okay. Well, the film, uh, the film opens at the IFC Center this Friday, and Michelle will be there on Friday and Saturday doing discussion, doing Q&A. And uh, the film will also be on iTunes starting on Monday. So um, thank you very much for spending the evening here. Thank you, Michelle, for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.